our sermon, and uh, we are going to be talking about authority and submission and obedience and all of these things. And I told uh, Rob I was uh, didn't plan on meeting with Rob the other day, and uh, ended up meeting with him. And I told him, "Yeah, I'm going to do the whole chapter because I want to get the whole context in one sitting." And he and I said, "And I said, but." I might have to cut it in half. And he goes, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> and I said, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through the whole thing. And uh, I think about 1 o'clock, I was having such, I was just having nightmares at 1 o'clock in the morning last night. And I said, there's no way I'm going to get this done in one message. So I'm going to spare you uh, an hour-long message this morning. So if you have your notes... Feel free to just focus on the front. You, we won't turn to the back until next week. So, <laughs> and don't worry, we'll give you more notes next week. Uh, so then that way we can get there. Uh, just a, a correction. I said, uh, I said Friday morning that Jim went to be with the Lord, but it was Saturday morning. Um, it was a whirlwind week uh, this last week. And my days, I, I don't even know what day I, I did what half, half the time. But uh, it, was, it was a very profitable week, and it was a grateful, I was just, it was great to be busy again. I love it. Um, sometimes I like to be too busy, I think, but it was enjoyable. I also experienced something. I, uh, Pastor Ralph had mentioned that uh, the message in Ecclesiastes, he doesn't think he's ever poured that much time and effort into one message to try to figure out how to outline it. And so I teased him probably a little bit too much because I had, my week came this week and I was lamenting over outlining the message this week. So the Lord said, uh-huh, you're teasing him just a little too much. And uh, so God got me back uh, with the message this week. Not that I'm afraid of the message, but I want to make sure that we get the, the brevity and the depth of this message and that's why I made a decision this morning to go back to two messages for this one. And uh, so we'll look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8 uh, in, it's in uh, this week and next week. And it's still focusing on wisdom. Uh, we want to have wisdom. We want to have meaning in our life. And it's found in wisdom. Um, if you want to know what Solomon thinks about wisdom, go to the Proverbs where he collected all these wise saying. Now, Solomon didn't write all of the Proverbs, but he wrote the majority of them. In fact, we know that he wrote thousands of Proverbs, even more that's even collected in Proverbs itself, a collection of wise sayings. Wisdom is something to be uh, it's something to long for and desire, Proverbs tells us. And knowing wisdom is really that important. And um, Pastor Ralph gave us some really good insights in seeking wisdom. In fact, when Solomon looked for wisdom, he said he only found one man that had wisdom. Which is interesting, because when the rich young ruler came up to Jesus, he said, uh, Good teacher. You know, what must I do to go to heaven? And Jesus said, that's interesting that you call me good, because there's none good but one. And it was interesting as he went through that ordeal to realize none of us are really good. We cannot find and 
and have wisdom on our own. We can see that in the world we live is like there's just a short, just a short supply on wisdom today. That's, by the way, nothing new under the sun. That's the way it was for Solomon. And it was interesting because you think about it when God came to Solomon and he says, I'll give you anything you desire. What do you want? And, you know, the majority of people would say, you know, uh, I want an Xbox or I want, a, you know, a million dollars. And now it's a million dollars doesn't even go as far as it used to. Um, I, I want 10 million. <laughs> uh, you say, you know, it's like I remember growing up and I was like, man, I, I just I want an acre of land. And I remember moving to our property, and we moved on to five acres, and I, I couldn't believe how big five acres was. I, I mean, I couldn't even yell at my kids. They couldn't even hear me across. The, I was like, I said, hey, and they ignored me, and I thought, man, they're such rebellious kids. And then I realized that as my wife was yelling at me as I was going out there to get them, I couldn't even hear her. Yeah, so it was like five acres. It was like, man, it's huge. Now I think it's so. Now that I have animals, I'm like, five acres is nothing. It's small. <laughs> but I, your things change. People's ideas about wisdom change. And Solomon, and wanting all of these things, Solomon just simply says, "Give me wisdom," because there's a short supply. There's really no wisdom in the world. And Proverbs 4, verse 7 says, The beginning of wisdom is this, Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Get insight into the wisdom. And that's really the idea. Proverbs says, when when the Bible talks about the wise, he's talking about those who know the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So having knowledge of the Lord, when we go to the Word, when we go and we read God's Word, we gain insight because we're gaining knowledge about God, who is the giver of wisdom. The more we fear the Lord, the the wiser we become. Really, when you don't fear, I realized growing up, I really did not fear a lot of things, and that got me into a lot of trouble, right? Uh, And I'll never forget the time that I thought moose were just, I'm like, they are ugly, and as uh, we talk about in men's fellowship around coffee sometimes, that they are just the spare parts of all the animals that got created. That's a moose, and we we laugh about it all the time, and yeah, when we have coffee on Friday mornings. But, and I thought they were just dumb, stupid, you know, and it's like, you know, why fear them, you know, until you run into one and he chases you until you get to the house and he, he stomps at the door and doesn't leave until your mom honks the horn a bunch of times and comes down and picks you up at the house that you had to run to to save your life. And you really realize yeah, they're a wild animal. They should be feared. We live our life a lot of times fearing a lot of things, and then, but we fear the wrong things, or we have no fear of anything, and we lack wisdom. And that's seen, and because we really do a lot of things that just seem right. 
We think what seems right is wise. And if we look at the world, that's really relativism. And that's where a lot of our postmodern thinking and philosophies and a lot of the problems we see today is an outflow of that kind of thinking. There are a lot of things that just seems right. We do a lot of things that just seem right until we know it's not right, right? It seemed right to use scissors to strip wires that were live. And then a blue flash of light, you realize that was not right. (laughs) And my kids laugh and they love that. Uh, and they were, they, I think they liked the idea of me explaining it to mom because I blew up her scissors. And they weren't just any scissors. They were her crafting scissors. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah. I, I'm, I think I've overcome that now. I don't use scissors to strip wires anymore. But here's, there's a, always a way that seems right. But it's not right. Proverbs 16.25 says there's a way... That seems right to a man, Solomon says, but it ends in the way of death. And he's not talking about just physically dying, although it does mean that, but it means the same thing that it meant in Genesis when, when, when it, they looked at the fruit and, and the words that Satan had given and deceived Eve and Adam, who was right there behind Eve, standing there, and just allowed this to happen, and and. And so, again, the man just not really paying attention, you know, and uh, to his surroundings. And Eve, they get deceived. And it seems right. The fruit looks good. Probably smelled good. Everything was good. And they said it, it seemed right. They took it, even though God said don't. And in that, the, all the curses that we know. Sin entered the world, the perfect creation that God had created, and now sin has entered in. And they began to die. They didn't die at that moment physically, but they spiritually died. Their relationship with God died. Their ability uh, and their ability to walk with God died. And they hid in their sin. And they began to die. And now we pull weeds forever, right? Whatcom County, they never stop growing, right? So we pull weeds forever. We garden, we till, we, we struggle on the earth because it seemed right. And th- now things die. They don't just die at once, but we begin to die. We know even now that our body at a certain point stops dividing cells and we slowly begin to die. That's the idea here, that when we live life based on what we seem, it leads to destruction, it leads to death. And clearly in the New Testament, this is the the same idea that is taught concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says clearly, the ultimate wisdom cannot be had apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. To be wise is to know Christ. To be wise is to follow Christ. To be wise is to be wise in Him. To know Him. That's why Paul said, my greatest agonizing thing that I do is to know Christ. He says it's even better. He says it's even better than all the things that I have gained in life. It's even better 
to share in his suffering is even better than all the riches of life. To know Christ. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 1 that Pastor Ralph read last week. In verse 24 he said, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Did you read that? What do, where do we know, how do we know wisdom? If you know Christ, you know wisdom. If you know Christ, you have the power to be able to understand the things of the Lord. He is our wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. So as we look at this and we ask, or ask this question, who are the wise who are the wise, those that know Christ? That's where we're going to be in our text, is, is who are the wise and who can know the wise? To know him and to fear him and to live with him at the center of your life is really to know wisdom. We ought to make this the spiritual aim of our life, is to know Christ more. Are you saturated with the joy of Christ as you find him in the scripture, in his word, right? Isn't that interesting that God calls Jesus power, that God calls Jesus wisdom, that God calls Jesus creation? Did you know that? He calls him creation, that God calls him the word of God. There's more. Christ is everything that we need for all wisdom. So as we go to this text and we ask this question, who is the wise? And really, how can we deal with the things that we face today? It really, the first thing that really that, that Solomon runs into is how do we deal with authority? Authority. And so we're going to read our text this morning. Before we do, let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Lord, I pray that as we seek wisdom, that truly in our heart that we would seek you, that we would seek the gift that you gave us through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again and conquered death. So that way we don't look at death the same anymore. Our our fear has moved from the things of this world to you. We don't fear the things of the world, but we fear you. We, we honor you. We look to you as the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, I pray that you would give us insight as we read your word, that we would see it, and that, Lord, you would help me to uh, explain the difficult parts of the passage, and just help us to see the truth of your word, that we might uh, listen and obey and trust you with our life. So that we thank you for your truth, and just help us to learn to follow it, and especially in the day in which we live, that we might learn to support and encourage one another, pointing everyone to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, this is in our study, those that are guests with us, we've been going through Ecclesiastes, 
We took a small hiatus through the summer, and now we're back, and uh, we finished up chapter 7, and um, blessed by Pastor Ralph's message last week, and blessed uh, to continue and share this with you this week. It says in verse 1, who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's commands because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. That's the presence of the the king. Uh, Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man, all through, through man's troubles lies heavy on him. And he does not know what it is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against the evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they feared they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Who is wise? Who are the wise? And the first thing we see in verse 1, as we go back into our text, is the one who, how do we know wisdom? How can we see wisdom? And in the illustrations that Solomon and the wise things that Solomon gives us, the one who knows the proper explanation of his or her situation. That's what he's talking about in verse 1. Who is like the wise? Who knows the, who is the one that knows the interpretation of things? He's giving us basically a, you know, a, rhetor- a rhetorical question. He's asking this question that people really would know the answer. If you know how to interpret your situation, the word interpret here in Hebrew literally means having the ability to explain and deal with the circumstances that you find yourself in. Really, that would be the great joy, right? I remember the first time I got in an accident. I was like, okay, so what do I do? I was told what to do, but just because I was told what to do didn't mean I really understood what to do, right? 
being able to explain and interpret the situation that you find yourself means that you have learned how to apply knowledge. You've learned how to be wise. Do you notice, now notice carefully who is wise. It is not one given to the emotional. It's not the one given to the irrational. It's not one given to the sensational. It's one that's giving to the true explanation of things. Zeal and action never should never take the place of the true rational thinking. The wise man is the one who knows how to interpret the things going on around him. That's really the beauty of a believer. That's really the beauty of fearing the Lord. When we have a relationship with the Lord in that what we were talking about propitiation and the fact that we can understand and have joy in the Lord no matter what the circumstances unfold. That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who has given me strength. That's the secret of contentment. Because whether he's in gain or whether he has gain or whether he has lots of things or whether he's in need or whether, you know, whatever it is, he's learned to be content because his greatest desire is Christ. Because that's where wisdom lies. He knows that having Christ in all things will help him to interpret all things. That's why the gospel should be carried with you each day. You don't, you don't hear the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did for you, that God saved us from our sins through the work of, of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying and rising again because he is righteous. He is, he is our righteousness. And now that because he paid that atonement for our sin, what, we, what was due us, now we have this relationship. That gospel isn't something that you just realize and then you just put it on the shelf and then you go on and live the rest of your life. It's something you carry with you every day. And when you do, you realize you have grace from God and he gives you grace and the Holy Spirit works in your life to know how to deal with your circumstances. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. You know, you've watched as People have matured in their knowledge of God and their relationship with God. They've applied. They walk with God. The more that they walk with God, you just are amazed that they seem to be able to handle the situations that have come to bear on their life. And it doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that they feel good or they like it. But they seem to have this countenance about them, right? They seem to be able to smile. I'll never forget my, I used to get, from the time I, after I was 10, I was called Preacher Boy. That's, I got the nickname. My, that's what my, my baseball team always called me. I was always talking about the Lord, and so I got dubbed Preacher Boy. But I didn't realize the brevity of what that really meant until the day that I broke my leg in five places Stealing, you know, you've heard thou shalt not steal. Uh, stealing, you know, I was going from first to second. 
uh, I had never gotten caught, and I never, and I didn't get caught that day either. But I broke my leg in five places, <laughs> so that's what happens when your foot goes under the base and your body goes over the base, but your foot stays. And and I hit it so hard that it just shattered parts of my leg. And at that moment, I didn't know, I didn't have a clue what was going on, but I just, I tried to get back up and go back to the base because I didn't want to get caught. The second baseman didn't catch the ball when it was thrown to him because he heard what happened and just, he just, he's, it was like he started, he started screaming like a little child. I was like, what's wrong with him? Did he get hit by the ball or something? I was like, I was like, and I sat there and I grabbed my leg and I was like, oh, I got a sprain. And he goes, dude, look at your foot. And I was like, what? And I looked down and my feet were not pointed the right direction. And I sat there and, and I'm just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm done playing baseball. And I get wheeled off and I'm laughing because they sent, uh, the paramedics got there and they were two ladies, right? And they were basically like a few of you out there that are basically five foot, and may, I don't even think they were 100 pounds. They didn't want to try to pick me up. I was I'm like looking at them, I was like, come on, I'm only about 120 pounds. <laughs> I weigh about as much as you. You could pick me up. And they're like, no, we don't want to touch you. They were afraid to touch me because of my leg. And so they waited until the firemen got there, and then these big burly strapping guys came over there you know, picked me up. It took like five of them. They were afraid that they were going to mess my leg up. And when they picked me up, it hurt because my leg moved. But I was kind of laughing at what was going on. And, and they, all the team lined up and they said, you watch, he's going to be smiling. Right? He's going to be smiling because he loves the Lord. I was like, oh. They re- uh, so preacher boy means more than I just talk about the Lord a lot. And, it, and I'm not saying I was perfect. I'm not, I was far from perfect. Uh, I, had, I had done a lot. Of, I mean, I was basically running from God at that point in my life because I love baseball more than I really love God. But it is amazing what happens when you are in love with Christ. When you talk about him, when he is the Lord of your life. Your countenance changed. Look at verse 1. It says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine. You know, you, if you've read the Shema, Hero, Hero Israel, the Lord is one. And you go on and you read and the different sayings in, in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, you will remember that phrase that may the, Lord's, may the Lord shine down on you and make his face to shine on you. That's what this is talking about. That the more that your wisdom is focused on the Lord and it's focused on knowing him, the more you understand how to interpret things and the more that your face changes. There's a joy about the countenance of believers that are walking in the Lord. The word that talks about this stern face, this hardness of his face is changed. It can be both positive and negative in the Hebrew, but it's referring to this strong and mighty, firm and hardness. But when you have wisdom, when you have understanding, when you have wisdom that first and only comes from the fear of the Lord, it changes the, the hardness of your face. 
It changes from this hard stern to this graciousness is what he's talking about. It's, it's, he, a person, a wise person knows how to enter into a situation, how to take control of that situation, to interpret that situation, and, and in the midst of that situation, be able to be gracious And in our context, it's being gracious with authority that you don't like. And say, ouch. Because here's the reality. Who are the wise? And the wise are the ones that have a right attitude about authority. Point number two. If if one is under authority, he looks upon those that are in authority with grace and not the hardness of hostility. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be quick to admit that I struggle with this from time to time. When I hear lies that come from authority, my, the elders will know. I just like, <laughs> especially when the lies relate to you that I really get more upset. I really don't talk about politics and I don't talk about the the, the, the things going on and the lies going on until I see it hurting you. Then I get, then that shepherd wanting to protect comes out and, and I get, I just, the hardness comes back and then I have to stop and pray and I have to get, go back to the Lord in wisdom. You have to have a proper attitude. Romans 13, this is really, the next few verses are really the clone of Romans 13. It's probably where some of Paul's understanding of Romans chapter 13, when when Paul said to the Roman church, when they were under Nero and they were under Titus and Tiberius and all these Roman, you know, Caesars, it was not easy to, they, if you think it was hard to live under our governmental authority now, you have no idea, although we might be headed to what Paul lived under. But here's what Romans 13:1 says, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. The one who, who are the wise, the one who maintains a proper attitude towards those in authority. Clearly, God is a God who takes full responsibility for the plan that he sets in motion for all authority. Right? It's no wonder Paul said, pray for all those in authority, 1 Timothy 2.2. For he realized all in authority are put there by God. Now just think about that. Do you know one of the easiest ways to have a right attitude for those in authority? Just remember they were put there by God. Therefore, think about the implications of that. Who is judging authority? We want to. We like to, but we really didn't set up all authority. But think about the implications of that, 
right? And I remember one of the students I was discipling, he, he taught me more about this than I think I taught him. But he had a bunch of computers stolen, and, and that was his livelihood and, and as a high school student. And he just said to me, he says, it's okay. I, I, he was quoting back to me a message that we had been studying. He said, I believe that God is sovereign and that he is in control of all things. And he says, therefore, he says, How, if I go out and punish them for stealing my stuff, what really is that to them? Think about it. I'd rather have God punish them. <laughs> I was like, what? He goes, he goes, yeah, God's really the one that's in charge of all things. And he is perfect. So he's going to be able to perfectly judge all things rightly and fully. And I was like, man, I was, as a pastor, I was really upset for my disciple, and he taught me a valuable lesson of God's sovereignty. And that's our context. Solomon's reminding us that God is ultimately the one in authority. Look at verse 2. He says, I say, keep the king's command. Why? Because of God's oath to him. And it's really... That's a hard translation, but really, it's really the oath placed before God about his authority. We need to keep the king's, the king's commands or his decrees. The really, Solomon saw that people had done evil and wrong and seemingly walking away without any reproof or punishment. He saw all the godlessness in people and, the God, and godless people honored. He saw, remember in our context, that they went into the temple and they went out of the temple and, and people were praising them, but yet they were doing all of these evil things. And they weren't good to the people, the people in authority. He saw godless people honored and he saw godly people hounded or hurt. Notice that his obedience to the commands or being under authority is for the sake of is not for the sake of the king but it's for the one who placed the king on the throne you know what changes our attitude and helps us to have the right attitude is is that we are looking to god as the sovereign ruler of all it's easy for us to get frustrated with lies and untruths and wrong things. And I'm not saying that we don't see that happening. We see it happening a lot. And bad things will, are still coming. Not because of good, th good things in government, because of evil things. Because people love power. People love authority. But we don't honor or respect authority because we like it. We respect it because we fear God. Fearing God is the beginning of all wisdom. Who is wise? Is, and that's the one that has a good and proper attitude towards all authority. You know how you can tell if you have a right attitude towards authority? It's easy to look at your face and to see how you talk about them. I say that in laughing because... I'm catch, I have to catch myself in the same thing. I do. The idea here is, is of uh, uh, the idea here is of abandoning support for a leader 
is, is, we don't just abandon support for a leader just because we don't like what the leader says. It's literally kind of the idea here. The wise has the right attitude towards authority in verse 2 because of submitting to the king. Submitting means, by the way, is keeping things in its proper order. We, if, how can we say that God is in control of all things and yet refuse to submit to authority? Now, the problem with that is people believe that submitting, they take that same idea of submission and they don't like when they read Ecclesiastes chapter 5 when it says, now, wives, submit to your husband, for this is the will of God. A lot of women hate that. Well, that's because they don't understand what submission is. Right? We have a wrong idea. People have misinterpreted submission. Trust me, ladies, you, you don't want what is being placed on the life of a man. I, I would rather just be submissive. <laughs> right? And a lot of men just do that. Because it's easier. But here's the reality. Submission is being in proper order. It's not being under a stack like it's God is in charge and then the man is in charge and then the woman is charge. It's saying that God is in charge and the idea of it's a military term that God who's in charge places all of you out on the battlefield for a specific reason. And when you do those things that God has put out there, you are in order. So that way you can complete the task. That's before you. It's an idea of order. It's not an idea of being, we are under his authority. That's the under part. So we can be set out to accomplish the plan that God has for us. Blessings and hardships included. So when we're under God's authority, it helps us to have a right attitude because we are submissive, not because we are saying that everyone in government is right, right? Because we don't have a king, we have a government. God takes care of that because he gives us Roman ideas in Romans 13, in Romans 14, in Romans 15. But he's saying, be ready to be useful for the marching orders that God gives you, not because you like the authority that God has placed over you, but because you fear and honor the Lord. That's really the problem. We fear what we don't like. We fear what might happen. We place so much fear on all of that that we do dumb things. We put fear on the result of the orders. We have had to weigh this this year as a church. And sometimes I believe people, and not sometimes, I believe a lot of people make decisions because they're not interpreting based on wisdom that comes from a fear of God. They base it on their wisdom that comes from an internal desire of what they want. Some people want safety, so they're, they fear what's going on around us, and they believe that the only safety that they're going to have is in something over your face or something you put in your body. That will create safety. 
but that hasn't happened either. Some people believe that their safety is going to come from being able to do whatever they desire or want. That's not going to happen either. And so as we have gone through this year, we've had to make decisions of how are we going to honor our authority, and we have done the best that we can to honor them, but we did it not out of fear. We did it out of fear and honor of the Lord. You say, well, it doesn't seem like that. Well, listen to what Solomon is saying in our text as we get ready to close. It says do, in verse 3, Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. Hey, He's saying, hey, don't just run because you don't like what he's saying, his commands. Don't run just because he's doing evil things. He says, don't, just, don't take up an evil cause and create disorder just because you don't like it he says for he does whatever because the the king does whatever he pleases he says for the word of the king is supreme and who may say to him what are you doing who has the right to do that god put him in authority verse 5 says whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way Peter is talking about this in 1 Peter 2, 17. He says, honor everyone. He didn't say just honor the king. He said, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Do you notice the progression of that? How do we honor everyone? How do we love the brotherhood? Then he gives us the command. Fear God and honor the emperor. Peter tells us to honor. By the way, this is the third how do we know when you're wise? How do you know how to interpret the things going on around you? He will be the one who employs the correct process at the proper time. There's a lot of times people said, well, pastor, you know, we could do this. We have a legal right to do this. And we said, well, we're not going to do that right now. Just didn't feel like the right time. There are times when we said, as, uh, as leaders, we said, we're not going to do this, but we're going to do this. Because we're going to focus on trying to honor different people. Just to love on people. Remember I told you, it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about loving one another and encouraging one another. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. In the Hebrew, what he's talking about here is, is this is... A, you will know how to proceed and how at the proper time and how to make a just and right decision. No matter how many troubled experiences you are facing due to the king's decrees, we must not rush the matter or commit an error in approaching the king improperly so that we can just have relief. But this is also what it's talking about, is that submission is not to be blindly passive. He's saying you will know how to make just and right decisions because of the unjustness in the decrees of the king. 
The wise man will be alert to God's timing and how to properly proceed. We, we did our best. I'm not saying we we're perfect, but I will tell you that we did everything we could on how to properly proceed and to be wise, not in our own eyes, or wise because we just blindly submit to every single thing that is said, like some people say we should, because that's submission, but that is not submission. That's what they say how a wife should submit to a husband, but that is not what submission means. In fact, I love that God gives us an illustration. Acts 22, verse 24 through 29. The beauty of it is as God set up governments, he set up some rights for his citizens. If you know in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, you know that he set up government for, to, to the whole role of government is to, to basically deal with evil and to help those who do what is right. And there are certain rights for its citizens. In the United States, we still, believe it or not, have many freedoms given to us, even though you may not feel like it. Because we are being told to give up our freedoms. But there are, there are rights and there are boundaries that are set forth by law. The government is bound by those laws, even though they, they don't obviously follow them all the time. And they don't always get punished for them. You may say, they never get punished. But if you read further, if you remember what we read, even though they see that they sin a, th- you know, a thousand times and don't get punished for it, they still are going to have to face death. Paul, as a Roman citizen, understood the rights given to him by the Roman government and was not afraid to use them. Paul teaches, Paul's teaching had led to a riot. Remember that? He was told, you shall not meet and you shall not preach the gospel. You, some of you are saying, well, we're not being told we can't preach the gospel. And I will beg to differ. We are being told that the philosophy that the church needs to hold to is one that changes the gospel. Social justice and social gospel. It is redefining the gospel. We are being told to preach a different gospel. It is now happening in Canada. They, they said that they would release a, uh, one of the Canadian pastors if he started preaching science, their science. And he said, I'd be glad to preach science, the science that comes from Genesis chapter 1. And they said, no, you need to preach our science. We'll give you what to say. And he said, no, I will only preach the gospel. So he's still in jail. This is as a result of obeying God rather than obeying men. Right? Acts chapter 4 and 5. As a Roman commander arrested Paul, he thought he was just another Jew. In that regard, he began to beat him. He began to beat him, and, and you can read it in, in Acts 22 and verses in, in the whole chapter there, but in verses 24 through 25, and the, the commander ordered him, now, let's, there's a riot happening, let's take care of it, squash the riot, let's take this guy, let's go back, and then to satisfy the Jews, let's beat this man. And they brought him back, and they started, 
And starting what should be an examination by scourging or a beating, that they might find out the reason why they were all in a riot. And they began to stretch Paul out. And Paul is already stretched out. And then he says, oh, by the way, is this how you treat a Roman citizen? Now, you can imagine, and maybe you don't know about this, but this Roman was thinking, and he, you can see by his response, um, Paul goes, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Because you know where we get the whole right? The, the, basically, in America, we have a right that you're presumed innocent until you are proven guilty. We get that from the Greeks and the Romans. And it was the same right that Paul had. And when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, what are you to do about this? <laughs> right? For this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said, now the commander, listen to him. He says, tell me, are you a Roman? And Paul said, yes. And the commander answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. He's basically, how in the world did you get this? So the Roman commander wasn't a true birthed Roman. He actually bought his citizenship. He says, I required it through a large sum of money. Listen to Paul here. And Paul said, but I was actually born a citizen. The commander was horrified. Because they were about ready, they were punishing a Roman citizen that was given the right of due process. Paul used his right to further not his safety, but to further the gospel. You know how you know this? Some people are using this today to say, see, National Christian nationalism, we should be nationalists. That is not true. Paul, if you, this is, by the way, the only time that he, he really focuses on his Roman heritage, right? He has rights. But you understand that there is nothing wrong with using the rights that God has given us in the government we find ourselves in. And so we have done that as a church. We said there are some rights that we have, and so there's some things that we're going to do and some things that we're not. But just because we have rights, we're not going to impose them and force them on everyone. And we've made some statements to that effect. And we're encouraging no one to look down on one another because they have certain desires, whether to be vaccinated or to have masks or not to be vaccinated or not to have masks. The responsibility for us is to fear God to, and to honor one another, to love one another. But we have the ability to exercise rights that were given to us by God setting up our government. By the way, did you know that our Constitution limits mandates? There's a limit on mandates. Just give you another illustration. It's not, I'm not telling you that because our law and our constitution limits mandates 
that we disobey and just walk away from all mandates. I still use a mask when I go into the store. I still use a mask when I approach somebody with a mask. I still, I don't sit there and ridicule people that are wearing a mask. I don't ridicule people that get a shot or don't get a shot. I do share all the true information that I find, not to persuade you on what to do, but to be informed so that way you're safe. Because otherwise, I know people that were not informed and got hurt through that process because they weren't informed. And they didn't make the decision by asking their doctor. They just made a decision because they were told to. Here's how our laws limit mandates. They fall outside the government agency under... Um, they fall outside the government's agencies and under the legislation. The law will state clearly that the things the agencies can and cannot make laws about. For example, the health department cannot make decisions about a pandemic, but they are. But we have rights, and we can still use them, but we also got to be willing to face the consequences of using those rights, whether we're treated justly or not. Paul was willing to use his rights, but then he demanded to be use another right and to go before Caesar. And in doing that, the only reason to do that was to share the gospel in Rome. He wanted to share the gospel in Rome. He used his rights to share the gospel, not to further his health. Do not take this out of context and say, well, my pastor said we have rights so we can just do whatever we want against mandates. That's not what I'm saying. Regardless if you agree with the mandates or not. Number two on our laws is the mandates can't overrule an existing state or federal laws. These laws can also be, can and can be changed through legislation but they cannot be mandated, right? Thirdly, the mandate can't override the Constitution. All laws and mandates will need to follow the rules established in the Constitution for the people and by the people. Do you understand what this is telling us? I I share that illustration not to belittle our government, not to tell you to trust the mandates or, I mean, to obey the mandates or to disobey the mandates. I'm telling you this because we have great illustrations that God has given us on how to proceed during these hard times. God gives us wisdom. Our submission to authority is based on God's sovereignty, on God's control. It's based on our fear of God, not our fear of man. It's not based on what we don't like or what we like. It's not based on feeling safe. It's based on our citizenship in heaven. It helps us maintain a good attitude in the midst of troubling times. As we we are going to need this wisdom as we proceed Years from now. Lord, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for the wisdom that is not our own. I thank you that you 
You have given us wisdom, and, and if we ask for it, you would supply it to us. In James chapter 1, many times we ask for things for the wrong reasons, not to honor you, not to fear you. Lord, I pray that our fear and honor and respect of you would grow during these troubling times, so then that way, our ability to have good attitudes in submission to our authorities that you have established would be done wisely, not blindly, not just blindly following orders, but using the rights that we have, but also in wisdom, in the right time, justly, not to create division and subversion and dissidents and to create riots and and not to create disorder, but to continue in order, the order that you gave us. Thank you that your wisdom never changes. It's a perfect gift that never changes, just like the shadows shift and change, just like our leaders shift and change, just like we saw in our text. They try to prolong their shadow. They try to prolong their life. They try to prolong their power. They create, and they, they create new laws. They break laws. They hurt. But that's doesn't mean that we stop fearing you, Lord. I pray that our citizenship would remain true in our thoughts and our minds and our action, that we belong to you. And in doing that, that we would become more strong at sharing the good news that you died for us, that you saved us from our iniquity, from our evil desires to live in our flesh, to do what we think is right, and that we turn to you, repent, and believe that you are the answer. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Because you died on the cross for our sins. Living that perfect life, you atoned for our sins. You became our propitiation. You became our, the one who shielded us from your wrath. That we might partake of your righteousness. That way we can have a relationship with you. Find peace and joy. Lord, may our fear lead us to that. May it not be the world in which we find ourselves, our circumstances, our hurts, our pains, but may we find ourselves in the arms of a loving Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.